you know the song and you sang it more than once. What you may or may not know is platinum artist Cecil DC Glenn co-wrote it with tag team rap duo partner Steve Gibson. Whoop, there it is, was released as a single in 1993 and topped the Billboard R&B chart. DC is also an actor, writer, and voiceover artist. The legendary duel and song were featured in the number one ad of 2020, Geico's Scoop, There It Is. His famous song was soundtracked on numerous shows, including South Park, Elf, My Name is Earl, Adam's Family Values, and more. The hip-hop dual tag team still performs live. Please welcome DC, the Brain Supreme, otherwise known as DC Glenn. Welcome to the show. Nice to be here. That was a very, very good introduction. It lets me know I got to rewrite that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. A lot, of, a lot of hills and valleys there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's complicated, right? It's, I have many hats, right? I do. You do. Hats. That's the beauty of life. I get to do a bunch of things a little bit. And that's what keeps them from being a job. So that's why I love it so much. Well, the thing is, too, we are not defined by one thing that we do, mm -hmm. right? We exactly. we are multifaceted as humans. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so tell me, what was your first music memory? That's a hard one. Because I grew up in a house full of instruments and music and choirs and everything. So I've never not known music. So it's almost like swimming. I don't remember when I first went swimming because my father threw me in a swimming pool when I was a baby, <laughs> right? So I've never not known how to swim, just like I've never not known how to work because I've always been working. I had chores when I, since I was six, seven years old. So as a grown man, I love to work. But the question is, my first musical, oh, when my father said, you got to play an instrument and I'm you're going to play trumpet. And they dragged me to trumpet practice and I cried. I think I was like seven years old. I didn't want to play trumpet. And that was just a horrific. I don't know if it was horrific. It was just scary. That's all. They were taking me someplace I didn't know about. They wanted me to play this instrument that I never knew about. So that was my first musical experience. That one kind of stuck with me because I did not apply myself like I should have. Mm. Right. I've spent a lifetime being able to apply myself and adapt to situations that anything that comes my way. And when I was a child like that, I kind of got blindsided. That's my goal now is just not to get blindsided. The only way you can not get blindsided is to fully engage with education on any subject matter that you're going after. I know that's a long-winded answer, but it's relevant because people try to use traumas as they were kids to say, that's why they can't do things today. It's like, you got a whole lifetime, if you're blessed with one, to get over that and be fruitful. So I know a better one, music, I think that's the one that sticks. And then my mother made me play piano and I didn't want to do that. But <laughs> what really made me want to, when I knew what I was going to do, when I, w I went to a new high school in 11th grade, I went to the first party of the year. And I saw a DJ with two turntables and a mixer. 
I knew that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I said, mm. this is what I want to do. I made a career out of it. I've been a DJ ever since, which turned into rapping, which turned into everything else. Uh, those are my musical memories that let, lead me to today. What kind of music did your parents listen to? My father listened to the soul music of the 70s, 60s and 70s, and my mother listened to gospel music. Then when I got to, I used to listen to the radio, but that was more a mixture of everything. When I got to high school is when I really got into hip hop, because that was the beginning of hip hop, this 82, 83, 84. Then when I got to college, you might be interested, is I met a gentleman named John Zanino. And I taught him hip hop and he taught me heavy metal. Oh, cool. So when you said you were a banger, I understand about that because I used to listen to those records. I used to listen to Accept and Judas Priest and uh, uh, Van Halen and all those groups like that with them because that's what they were party to. Being around a lot of forms of music makes you a well-rounded individual when it, become, when it comes to being a DJ. And the principles that I use in being a DJ in the clubs and parties and weddings and all that stuff apply today because to me, being a DJ is the luckiest job on earth because I get to study human nature. I get to sit in this DJ booth and watch how everybody reacts to what I do because I drive the bus. And I've become very masterful at it over the years. I've retired in 2015, but because I just didn't want to be a 50 year old DJ. <laughs> I just didn't want to be a Right. And I'm acting and I do voiceover and we've been touring forever. So now we're touring more than ever. It's not because, well, it's, it, it, the main reason that I am who I am is the hustle. Mm. I'm not scared to learn anything. I'm not scared to work. I'm not scared to put in whatever it takes for me to learn it. What people don't realize is that there's ways to alter your learning curve. There are ways to shorten your learning curve. And that's what I'm masterful at. That's what I'm masterful at. So did your life turn into what you envisioned it to be when you were a kid? I remember yeah. when Michael Jackson and they had the Jackson show and Michael Jackson was every weekend, he would just do an incredible dance move. I remember one time we were in a grocery store and I had some popcorn, Orville Redenbacher popcorn. And I was doing Michael Jackson moves and that popcorn flew out of my hand and <laughs> my father gave me a look like, oh, I could beat you right now. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget it. But that was a, a Michael Jackson moment, right? So I knew that my life was going to be musically inclined from mm. probably the day that I saw the DJ stuff. I knew. I was like, this is, this is it right here. And I'll go to college and I'll go get a communications major and I'll try to be a broadcaster, but this was what the music was what I wanted to do. You met your tag team partner mm -hmm. in a Denver, Colorado high school. Yep, man. What was it? What was it about your friendship that kept, clicked and kept you together all these years? Well, our last name starts with a G. So in homeroom, we sat next to each other. <laughs> And then he introduced me to all his friends because I was new to the high school and they had a band and they would play in the quad lunchtime. Sometimes I was like, I got to be in that band. 
And I I beat I just beat them down until they just let me be in the band. Once I got in the band, I've always been a leader. I was the one who developed the structure. I was the one who went and got the gigs. I was the one who made sure we had drumsticks, guitar strings, the whole nine. Because of my mother and the choir, I went and joined the choir, Bolt Vibration Choir. So I'm DJing, I'm in the choir, and I'm in this band. But the band disbanded because, you know, young people, a group of young people is hard to stay together. But me and Steve always stayed together because, you know, we are from a community of friends, right? People grow apart, but certain people in that community kind of click more than others. Not really click, but stay in contact more, have more interest in line. Me and Steve's interests were in line. We had started a rap group called the Tag Team Crew, which was three individuals. But one individual, had uh, Otis P, had to go to the Army. And then it was just me and Steve tag team. And I just started rapping, started writing lyrics and started making songs because we had a four track back in the day. Johnny Z got the four track. He was like, I don't know what to do this thing. I was like, I'll figure it out. Started making songs. And it evolved. And I graduated Sac State, moved to Atlanta. And then everything flourished. I got a job DJing at a club, uh, one of the major clubs in the city. It just, it just blossomed into, you know, just all kinds of things that helped me create that song, which was, we were in this land, we were in the South. In the South, you have bass music. It's up-tempo mm -hmm. type of music, right? I knew we weren't going to be able to get out of the Southeast because back then it was just New York and LA as far as record companies. I told Steve, we got to make something up-tempo. And our first attempt was, whoop, there it is. And everybody thinks it's this big Manhattan project where we're wearing lab coats and, no, <laughs> just the song. Just the song about young men chasing women and drinking on a Friday night, which is the theme of every country song, rock and roll song, hip-hop song, blues song that, that's out there. Fast forward, I was struggling with trying to find a deal because people want people like the record, but it just... They just didn't know what to do with it. And a young lady named Lisa McCall used to work at Island Records. She told me, hey, call Al Bell. For those who don't know who Al Bell is, in the beginning of soul music in the 60s, there were three record companies, Billy International, Barry Gordy Motown, and Stax Records, which was owned by Al Bell. Mm. The year before, he put out an up-tempo record called Daisy Dukes, and it went gold. I was like, that makes sense. I don't mind going gold because we didn't have no concept of gold and platinum back then. We just wanted to be rock stars. I called him two weeks later. He called me and I was like, look, dude, I got a hit record. You really need to sign us. He's like, okay. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa uh -uh, don't play with me. You haven't even heard the record. <laughs> and I'll never forget these words. He said, brother, I don't have to hear the record. I hear it in your spirit. Let's agree to agree. Wow. Let's get this thing moving. I gave about two weeks at the club I was at, signed a messed up record deal, and a month and a half, tag team was platinum. The rest wow. is history. So what was it about that song? What made it work? I have no idea. <laughs> I think it went back to the essence of hip-hop. That's one reason. Went back to the essence of hip-hop because... We were inspired by records like Planet Rock and Egyptian Lover and those electronic records back in the day, Kraftwerk, Trans Europe Express, Numbers, records like that, those up-tempo party records. And it just was a record that was fun about partying that really blew. 
every time when I first played it, played it on a cassette in the club that night. That's the biggest response I've ever had to any record. I've been DJing for 30 years. So I already knew. And it was just about finding somebody who could really get it out there. Al Bell got it out there. Got mm -hmm. it out there. We were all the awards. We just, everything changed. And been doing it for 30 years off of one song. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess if you when you look at the group LMFAO, they mm -hmm. almost have a similar sound to that song that you yeah, created. The electronic stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But one's beat, one's beat is straight, and our beat is bump, 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 variety. That's kind of the difference between that type of those type of genres, right? But yeah, we just you know people love if you if you love to dance, those are the records you're gonna listen to. Right. That's all I cared back then. It was the clubs. It was all about keeping a dance floor packed. Yeah. So I knew what records to make. I knew how to make them. Right. I knew what was a good record. What was going to work what wasn't going to work i became very masterful at it and uh, we just we worked very hard and we did a lot of promo and we just been grinding ever since so let's go back to the the selling of this record <laughs> because mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure the record companies are very much like book publishers where i know with most book publishers they they might produce 150 Mm -hmm. uh, projects per year and they will get tens of you know 10,000 pitches for those spots mm -hmm. so the record companies are probably much the same so how hard it had to be really difficult to get your song seen and heard even after you signed maybe I don't know how, how is that process like it was it was actually it's, it, it's the record right the record is what does it and the people dictate if the especially back then because back then it was all about radio or about the clubs and the way i did the clubs the clubs dictated what radio would play because all the djs from the radio station mm -hmm. would come to the club if they heard something they hadn't heard before then every every dj wants to have the record first so if it's a hit record it's gonna blow and one one way this is one I could tell you three instances that blew that record up. The first instant, a guy named Ryan Cameron, he was on the radio, B103 in Atlanta, and B103 didn't play rap. But Woomp There It Is was bubbling under so big when I was playing in the club that he would play the instrumental bed, and everybody knew what it was, and they would call and they would request the record. And mm. it got so bad that they had to start playing rap music because that record got so many requests for to be played that's advertising if everybody gets to hear what they want to hear then you're going to be able to slot it and then make more money advertising right so that's one two a uh, gentleman named ed lover he uh came down a couple weeks before i left magic city and he heard the record and he was like what is that i was like that's my new record he was like give me that <laughs> and i gave him a cassette he's like man i can't do nothing with no cassette i need vinyl so a couple weeks later after i left magic city and i got some stuff pressed up I gave him a couple pieces of vinyl and Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, the host of one of MTV's greatest shows, your MTV raps every day at four 30, they would come on and they would have guests and they would play records and stuff like that. He took it back up that Monday and played Woomp There It Is instrumental for the whole show. Oh. 
that did it because everybody's oh. like, what is that? Then another, then the third thing, two weeks later, the Bulls win their third championship. And the celebration in Grant Park, you got a half a million people in Grant Park. And you got all the Bulls on stage. And in the beauty of this is that back then there were only two cable stations in and TBS. That's why everybody loves the Braves and the Cubs. <laughs> and because it was nationwide. And you got this parade, and everybody on stage is chanting, Whoop, there it is. And you got 500 people in Grand Park chanting, Whoop, there it is. And everybody's like, What is that? And wow. We were gone. So wow. I remember all those things, right? So those, those are that that's truly organic stuff, right? Yeah. Now it's different, but you still can put out a record organically if you learn what it takes to be a true digital marketer. Yes. Right? And the key to that is SEO. I don't care what nobody says because everybody's looking to get 100,000, 200,000 people to like them. And that's not how, you know, the young kids probably can do that, right? Because they're willing to do ignorant, stupid stuff on video <laughs> to do that. Us, we're not trying to do that. We're not, we're not really even trying to do social. We media. already did the ignorant, stupid yeah, stuff. And there were no cameras. Can't go backwards. <laughs> Some people never got out of it, but we can't go backwards, right? So for me, my philosophy is that you don't need 100,000 people to like you. You just need 100 people to pay you, mm. right? So I am masterful at SEO now. There's nobody I can't get in front of. I can build a website and rank it very well and that is why i'm still successful because anybody who are looking for my services i'm in front of and they can find me right like right now i'm right. Building, i'm helping my brother redo his dental website he was getting seven searches a month that's going to be about three thousand searches a month in about two months wow because Google, think about it. What entity, like this is what everybody's, everybody wants to either be Instagram, they want to be on these platforms. I'm like, what is the number one entity in the world that controls the world? Google. Google. And if you can get on the first page of Google, that means you've done things right. That means you provide a service. That means you answer questions because what is Google? It is a search engine. So if somebody types in, I'm looking for this, and you're on the first page, you get the money or you get the call. And people don't understand that. I ask people all the time, if you were looking for you, what would you type into Google? And they can't even tell me. Yeah. It's the A in the phone book. And I, it's amazing you say that because that's how I used to get jobs when I was in high school yeah. for everybody. They'd they be like, I went around, drove around to four places to get a job. I was like, what? I was like, I can get you a job in five minutes. I was, they were like, how? I was like, bring me them yellow pages. <laughs> what do you want to work? Restaurant. You just start from there. Hey, how you doing? Uh, are you hiring? <laughs> okay, thank you. Hey, how you doing? Can I come and fill out an application? Okay, thank you. Hey, how you doing? Are you accepting applications? And there's going to be somebody who has quit, who's got fired, who's just left, or business is getting bigger and can't handle it. And they're going to be like, if you get here today, you got a job today. Yeah. All you had to do was dial a phone. 
Yeah. Right. I used to get all my friends jobs like that. And you can pick and choose because then you make a list and you know what companies or what restaurants or whatever you want to work at are hiring. I did that for my niece this summer. She got a summer job at a golf course caddying for for individuals and made a lot of money. Right. <laughs> She asked me, how can I make some extra money? I was like, this is how I used to do it. And she did it. Then we put together her resume. Put together her a resume in high school. But she's done a lot of community work and a lot of things. All yeah. those things are to be applauded. What is Google? Google is data. It's not emotional. It doesn't have feelings. It doesn't care. It's not. <laughs> how many times have you heard the algorithm doesn't like me? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm like, Google is data and Google gives you the recipe to feed the data, feed the bot. Yeah. So what are you going to be a short order cook or a three-star Michelin chef? <laughs> I love that. I choose the latter because that bot is going to love the food I feed it. And then not only will it put me where I want to be, but it will go out and it will grab everything else in the universe that's about me and put it in the right place. Yeah. That's the key right there. Yeah. And so now I could do it for acting. I could do it for voiceover. I could do it. For, I could be my own. I could do it for PR. I could do it to get shows. I could do it for historical preference. I could do it just to cement my legacy. I could do it to sell books. I could do it to do anything I want to do. And the ability to be able to successfully market your business or the thing that you love to do. All right. Is the holy grail of life to me. And it's something that, I mean, you don't have to be a, a rocket science to figure it out because SEO is basically going behind the scenes and, you know, it's, doing it's, the little things. Yeah, to, it's rocket science, but it can it be. It ain't rocket rough. science, but it's tedious, right? It's tedious. Yeah. It's not for everybody. Right. Because you, first thing you got to do is you got to twist your brain to think in a certain you got to twist your brain yeah. to think differently. You can't think like a human. You got to think like data. <laughs> so all the data that I have, I input into Google through various means, which is we, that's what a Wikipedia page is for. Yeah. That's what Wikidata is for. Wikidata is to put all the references there so you can draw from the references of Wikidata to Wikipedia. Then Google trusts Wikipedia more than anybody. So for the young musicians that are coming up, they some of them are pretty savvy enough to figure it out, but a lot of them, mm -mm, some yeah. of them don't even have a website or they don't even have, don't have their, their everybody I go on tour with. Yeah, they everybody don't even have a YouTube channel. <laughs> mm, yeah, but they think that's what's going to get it for them. Yeah. They're yeah. like, well, I, I got the YouTube channel. It's like, well, first of all, your your channel description isn't filled out. So nobody knows really how to get in touch with you. Nobody, you're not feeding the bot data. Yeah, yeah. I said, you don't have any information. You just got two sentences in your description of the video. You haven't probably tried to put the video in front of the people that are looking for you to hear it. You just think that it's going to throw, it's just in the air. Yeah. And There's so much noise. You got to yeah. past that noise. But here's the problem with artists. Artists are popular, so therefore, it kind of, if they're hot, it doesn't matter if their stuff is optimized. Mm. But if they're not, yeah, better be optimized because you're not going to be seen. Like for, for like for us, 
what I do, and this is this is for me, this is new. If I I'm looking at booking agents and I'm in this organization, I talked to all these booking agents. I said, What are you searching for when you, you know, when you're online? And they're like, I'm looking at the artists that I think we could put together and I'm looking at their their schedules and their bios. I'm looking at things like that. I'm like, okay. So now I know if I want to get in front of booking agents, I need to do an article on Vanilla Ice so I can plant myself on the first page of Vanilla Ice. So when they type in Vanilla Ice and mm. the results come down, tag team is there and you plant the seed. Yeah. And once you plant the seed, somebody's going to be like, that would be a good show. Mm. You write the article why, and you write the article that way. Why we're such a good show, to, why we're good to be with Vanilla Ice and use all those keywords that deal with tag team touring, Vanilla Ice touring, the shows we've done together, all those things like that. Then not only will you be on Vanilla Ice's page, you'll be on all his secondary pages. Then you'll be on pages for 90s and all the other things as well. So when people are searching for things in the 90s, mm. if Vanilla Ice is there, we'll be there. If Tone Loke is there, we'll be there. If Salt and Pepper's there, we'll be there. Nobody's doing that. Yeah. You have, to be, you have to be creative, right? You have to, you have to know what, first of all, you got to know who you're trying to get in front of. Unless they have a kick-ass PR team. Even with PR, don't do it. Yeah. I, this is what, let me tell you something. I can give you with the Geico commercial, right? Yes. Geico worship is doing big. I'm like, but we can't do shows because we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I tried <laughs> to hire a PR. Uh, Duh, to... we're in a computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tried to hire a PR. And they're like, well, we're, you know, they're thrown because they're in the middle of a pandemic. They don't know how to deal with a commercial in the pandemic. Like, everybody gave me every reason why they couldn't instead of one reason why they should. Yeah. So I joined PRSA. Because whenever I get stuck or somebody tells me I can't do something, I'll join an organization, society, or association. Because they're filled with individuals who've been doing this and are masterful for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and can't wait to tell you. Plus, they got all the resources. So I joined PRSA. Two days in, Super Bowl week, I'm on a pod, I mean, a Zoom cast with a CEO of this firm. I raised my hand. I said, hey, are press releases still relevant? Like, what's it for? I'm like, well, I'm kind of featured in a national Geico commercial called Scoop. There it is. I'm looking at the chat and they're like, wait a minute, that's what is he doing here? Oh my, God, my grandmother loves him. My kids love him. My dog loves him. Now everything is about me. And the CEO's like, of course, that press release is going to work because the whole last year has been about COVID. The whole last yeah. year has been about politics. And here you guys come throwing sprinkles and spinning scoops and dc or smile you're gonna go here for all the consultants you're gonna go here for all the tv journalists you're gonna go for here for all the tv talk shows you're gonna talk show hosts you're gonna go here for all the podcasters and it changed my life forever it's the reason that you and i are talking right now that's very cool you see that's what i'm saying cool. so i'm yeah. my own publicist yes i've got that i've got it that's why i do three or four of these a day right because not only Am I putting myself out there? But I could take our conversation, put it into the AI. And optimize it in various it. ways, yeah, which is what I'm going to do after. Put it out there. <laughs> and now I got all these backlinks to my site. Yeah. This is a backlink building exercise. 
This is a PR exercise. This is an entertainment exercise. This is articulation exercise. This is me getting my analogies down exercise. That's why I'm starting my motivational speaking career. Awesome. Because of me doing these, right? Yes. And now everybody, what are you going to talk about? It doesn't matter because I'm like, it's like I'm a DJ. Oh, man, you'd be a hell of a motivational speaker. But, that's, but that, it is happening now, right? Yeah. So, and, and here's the thing. And here's your... Here's your example to send to all the bureaus. <laughs> but it's not even going to have to go that far because I could do it myself, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I know SEO. So I know who to get in front of if I want to speak at GE, if I want to do this. And then I'm in an organization, NSA, National Speakers Association. Yes. The mentors in that, all the elders in there pulled me. Great organization. Them, and now they give, they're, they're mentor, they mentored me for the last six months. Awesome. You see what I'm saying? Because I joined the organization. I tell people yeah. all the time, if you want to learn how to do something quick, join the organization because you can just talk to people and learn about it in two weeks. Yeah, I, I belong. I used to belong to the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you understand how they Total. got all the resources. You go to the convention and you network. And one of the biggest the guy who kind of runs the organization that is my mentor, and he's gonna hook me up with three or four mentors. They all told me what to do, and it's being done. They don't even know I know what I know. They don't even know <laughs> that I know how to market myself and how yeah. to do the PR and how to, like, I know what to do. For, as an actor, I know what to do. Every here's the beauty of press releases. See, I know how to use them so effectively because I wait for a headline. Tag team wins the bronze lion at. Con, you know, the con festival, right? In Con France for for Scoop, there it is. That's a headline. Yeah. So a headline is to a press release is a Trojan horse for me. So <laughs> everything I've been doing since the last press release, I get to mention, I get to optimize. And now when I drop it, this last one I did, probably 582 entities picked it up. Huh. It went to to API and all those links stick because I know SEO. I'm just just throwing out a press release with just words. I optimized it, so now that's how I, some of those are going to fade, but most of the, a lot of those are going to stick. A hundred backlinks from ABC San Antonio, CBS, uh, Rockport, Maine, right? Just because of the headline tag team scoop, there it is, right? They got aggregators that pull this stuff down if they like it. They run it. Yeah. I love to do it. It's just so many different things you could do, but you got to, they, they all kind of intertwine with each other. And that's what creates mastery. And that's what creates customization. So would you ever sign with another record deal? Nah, that's over. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same about publishers. No, no, but but <laughs> let me tell you this though. I would never sign, but I would make records. I'm making, I'm in the process of record production now. I'm good. I was going to ask you that. Right? But I'm not going to make songs for the public. I'm going to make songs to license. Hmm. I want to make a thing. If I'm, if I'm going to be in a TV show and I'm a serious regular, I'm going to make the theme. If I'm about to be in a movie, I'm going to make a song about that movie and submit it. Right. And license it. If the movie, if it blows up in the movie, then everybody starts liking this song. They're going to be like, who's that song? They're like, that's DC, the brand's pretty, but tag team. Man, <laughs> still making money. 
you see how that's a better response than if I say, hey, everybody, here's my new record. They'd be like, man, DC need to sit his old ass down. He's doing good. <laughs> but he need to do that. He messed himself up doing that, right? Because there is a reality to all of this. I can't be a 55-year-old rapper with a white beard talking about I'm the best rapper. Come listen to my music, right? Can't, it, it, don't make, it doesn't make sense. But there are music houses out there who redo redo songs, make songs. I can make fitness music. I can make whatever that I could put on a physical piece of something or put somewhere that is strategic to it. Because there's people, there's a million people looking for fitness music. I put myself on the first page of that. Bam. I'm selling. I'm, I'm streaming like crazy. Hmm. There's something on there that they like. It becomes a hit record. But within that, you know, within that group of people, yeah. right? So say it's 100,000 people and I get 200,000 streams. I could do that in quiet because I don't have to be a star. I could care less about being a star. This is about, this is about success and mastery. That's what I'm working. I'm working toward mastery. I care less about money. I care less about stardom. I want mastery. Mastery <laughs> is my drug and education is my drug. I coined a phrase called learn how to learn. Mm. It is not enough to learn. You got to learn how to learn. And that's what you do when you cut those learning. That's curves. your keynote. Huh? That's your keynote. You're telling me it's not though. And I'm like, I like that. Right. <laughs> I'm like, but see, here's the thing. All of those, everybody asked me at the convention. I went to the convention about a month ago. They're like, so what do you talk about? I was like, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> it's like, well, you got to have something to talk about. I was like, look, my thing is like a DJ, okay? You remember back in the club, if you went to a club, if I'm a DJ and I go to a club, I got three crates of records. I don't know what I'm going to do till the crowd comes, right? I'm not going to DJ the same way I DJ last week because last week I might have had a thousand people in the club. This week I might only have 200. I'm going to DJ totally different. But it's the same three crates of records. The party is different. The presentation is different. All records are, are PowerPoint slides. So I have three crates of PowerPoint slides. I'll go in a couple of days earlier, talk to the executive staff, get the lay of the land. Then I put my slides together. And then I go rock the house or rock the club. <laughs> and then when I'm, I'm done, right? And it's effective. So that's how I would do it. But they're used to saying, this is my theme. When you do that, you kind of can't, you kind of can't really get in there. And when there's a spontaneous moment, mm -hmm. take advantage of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's why I like doing these because I get to practice. I come up with so many new things just by talking when I come up with these new things, then I get to write them down and then they become records. All I got to <laughs> do is just have them in PowerPoint slides across and in bullet points and don't even have to go through the whole bullet points as long as they see them. Yeah. But I can read the crowd and be like, okay, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about that. But as long as it's in the realm of those bullet points, it doesn't matter the order. You don't got to go in order. They're like, I don't like him because he didn't go and order his bullet points. <laughs> they don't know. They don't even know. <laughs> but that, that, to That's me, that part of it is the most yeah. brilliant to me because I sat there and watched speaker after speaker after speaker, you know, on that big stage. And I said, they're just 
And then I went back and I looked at all their videos and all their 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 marketing material. And I said, I understand what they're doing, but there is another way. Well, I got an example for you, too, because I had a few questions, Mm -hmm. but really the interview kind of took its own direction. So (laughs) that tends to happen with me. I did get to squeeze in. I did get to squeeze in a few, but you also answered a lot of the questions I had. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's the beauty of the that's the beauty of doing this. I remember I had a, a podcast with a young lady in Spain, and she was like, "Did you read the questions?" I was like, "No, I kind of don't do that." She was like, "Oh my god, we got to cancel because you didn't read the questions." Like, Calm down, slow your oh roll. Take it, breathe through your nose. I said, "Ask <laughs> me." I said, "Ask me one question, and I'll do the rest." She asked me one question and I started. Yeah. And I can read her. I can read the person across me on the screen and know where to go. Yeah. I can know if they're losing it. If somebody looking at their watch and like over here, (laughs) okay, you got to switch up. You got to go somewhere else. But that is so rare because when I start talking about life, people are riveted. Yeah. Right. You, you were a writer. You were like my writing had to get good because nobody can express my writing like me. Yeah. I've hired a thousand writers and they just can't because nobody knows it like me. Well, I feel that way about interviewing too, because mm-hmm. I study other interviewers and I, I actually write down questions from mm-hmm. some of the really good interviewers and, and kind of adapt some of them. And, mm-hmm. and it's getting good at asking questions. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not perfect by any stretch. Nobody is, but but I try to be better at every interview. Yeah, that, that's life, though. I'm yeah. just trying to be a better man today than I was yesterday. That's it. And that's what I strive for. I mean, like with the writing, I have so many methods. I have a just beautiful method of writing now. I will get one of those cheap writers. It doesn't matter who writes for me now because I just want to write 1,500 words. Write 1,500 words yeah. about these four pages. Then I can go, and this is what helps. I have a reader. I go to the AI and I, I dump it into the reader. It's reading to me out loud in the uh-huh. robot voice, or whatever voice it is. <laughs> and I can hear it. Like I, it has to be a conversation for me to use it. Yeah. And I just take it paragraph by paragraph. Then I dump it into what's called Quillbot. Quillbot gives me different variations of it. And then I throw it back in and then, oh, that's better. All I got to do is change this word, this word, this word. Then it reads to me just, it's like, just your friend talking to you. See, I do it the hard way. I read it aloud to myself. <laughs> and you do that, but it, it's almost like it's, it's hard for me because I get to daydreaming. So <laughs> I have to have the, I, like long emails. I throw it in the AI and the AI is just like reading it to me, but I pick up things. Yeah. Here's the beauty of it. I listen to everything at two, three times the speed. If I got a course to go through, I will listen to it two, three times the speed. Because I don't need to hear everything, the things that I don't know or like to pitch, I could stop and be like, wait, go back there. I write down the time. And now I know that I can go back there for reference. It has to, t- it takes a lot of organization because, and I tell people, you know, everything you do record. If you're paying for services, if you're paying to get taught something, I recorded everything since the since 2008. Because I started voiceover in 2008. Yeah. And I just had a bunch of recordings, everything I did. I, you know, you, you would like to say that you'll go back through them again. But when the pandemic hit. 
Oh, yeah. I was like, what am I going to do? Everybody asked that question. What the hell am I going to do now? It was like, I can't go do shows. I can't do this, can't do this, but I can rock this microphone. Yep. Let me reinvent myself with voiceover. Let me put organize all my lessons from various voiceover coaches and just go through them one by one. I went through the first one, 2008, and almost made me cry because I had to hear myself talk 15 years ago. <laughs> I had to hear that person actually have a conversation. I realized how ignorant he was, and it just broke my heart. But at the same time, all the things that they were telling me, because I'm an actor now, I never quit. I never gave up. I play offense, so I'm a voice artist, working voice artist and a working actor. I understood everything they were trying to teach me because back then I didn't know the language. I thought I could just whoop, there it is my way through everything. So I thought it was their <laughs> fault that I couldn't get it. And I was wrong. Mm. I have the ability to kill your pride and sequester your ego. Oh, it's the that. greatest gift that the Lord has given me because it truly opens my mind to every possibility imaginable. I redid my first script. I listened to their notes and it was purely angelic because it was the first time in my life I had had mastery over my voice. Then I start booking like that. Because back then it was like, we're all in this together. COVID. That's the <laughs> voice, right? It's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look out for your neighbor, right? Every, every, and, and they, every body had those and I was booking like crazy. Nice. Then I got a call to do a movie, my first movie, because I've only been acting since 2017. Then I got another call to do another movie. Then I got a call to do the Publix ad for the fall. And here comes Geico. Mm. I was already doing it before Geico even came. And Geico didn't have nothing to do with my acting or it had to do a tag team. Right. And then became a publicist. When I dropped that press release that week, I dropped it on a Wednesday. I get a call from Dan Patrick's show on Thursday. Mm. Now I'm on national TV with Dan Patrick talking about Tom Brady on a Friday. <laughs> Relations Society of America and learned how to become my own publicist. Wow. That is <clears throat> such a great way to end this because mm -hmm. you have imparted like a whole university education to I guess, the audience. So, <laughs> one on how to market yourself. <laughs> That's how you do it. it and everybody's like, you should write a book. You, you, why you just give it? Because you give what you want first. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I'll give, I'll give it all mm -hmm. away because I know that's the easy part. The hard part is putting in the work. Oh, yeah. When you go to organizations, you can learn all day. But the hard part is now you got to put in the work. Now you have to be the example. That's my whole thing. I'm not trying to convince you to do anything. All I can do is be the example. You're looking at me and you know what I've done. I'm the example. I'm telling you how I did it. I'm the example. It's up to you to get to that point. And I love it when it's hard because I know nobody else is going to do it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's the way you think about things. You know, it's just the way I reverse my brain. I don't know what I do, but I, I'm always, they call me DC, the brain supreme for a reason. <laughs> Not because I'm stupid. Not because my head is big. Well, my head is kind of big, but not that big. <laughs> Somebody call you the brain. <laughs> we were pinky in the brain. I know you remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, 
yeah. But on the serious note, I really want to thank you for letting me come on here and just. Oh, run thank you, thank because you. Because I, I swear I learn more by running my mouth than anything. And <laughs> when I run my mouth, people learn, and I learn, and it's just beneficial for all parties involved. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, you so much.